people would say, you know, video games can't do anything but entertainment. And we suspected that they could do more. Bob Dylan, when Bob Dylan comes out on stage with an electric guitar and is immediately also vilified, uh, where uh, as long as Bob Dylan was playing an acoustic guitar, um, his audience accepted his work as art and uh, electrifying his uh, sound somehow was a sellout and was not legitimate. As an artist and designer who works with digital media, there was also the um, struggle to get any creative artwork done with uh, that you have to plug into the wall to be accepted. This is Here, Aya Presente, a podcast about immigration and Colorado. I'm Gray Newman, and this episode is about Rafael Fajardo, a professor at the University of Denver. He teaches classes about graphic design and game design, and when he's not doing that, he's exploring the ethical and political potential of video games to express ideas about serious and complex topics. But before we dive into that, how did he get into video games in the first place? A friend of my dad's showed us an Atari that he had bought for himself, and so we got to play Pong. My dad was reluctant to let video games in, even though my dad was a technology early adopter. Um, so when Mattel released the Intellivision, he he bought us one, and I had an Intellivision. <laughs> and in addition to the typical baseball and football cartridge, there was one game that Raphael took to a little bit more. We had a, a game called Utopia, which was a geopolitical game. That one was super influential. Um, you played as the leader of an island nation, and the, you were like 30,000 feet in the air above the island and uh, deploying resources on the surface of the island. And there was another island, and so it could, you could either collaboratively play with somebody on the other island, or they could choose to subvert your political um, outcomes and put guerrillas on your island. Super, super interesting. But the Intellivision was only a stepping stone on his game-playing and creating journey. When I got my first computer, I got in college, it was a Mac SE. My dad surprised me by giving me a game called Trust and Betrayal, The Legacy of Seabood. Um, it was by Chris Crawford, who turned out to be a really, really important game designer and scholar of game design. He wrote the first... I'll call them game design textbooks. He also was trying to do interesting things with narrative and games. I don't know that my dad knew what he was doing. I think that he went to like a computer store and asked somebody about what would be a good game to give somebody. Um, and there was another video game I had to find on my own uh, that I had heard about. It was also a geopolitical game. It was called Hidden Agenda. Um, it was set in Central America, and you were the president of a new government in Central America. And your the gameplay, the gameplay mechanic was um, having conversations and interviews with different uh, stakeholders in the nation, and you tried to balance um, their needs and wants. 
the the game was a, a reaction to the Vietnam War, and then this game made me cry. I would play, I couldn't finish, I would cry because I was so emotional about what was being presented. Um, but it it also put into my brain that 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 you could do something interesting um, emotionally with games, with video games in particular. I mean, I, I wanted to be able to make games I could play. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted I wanted I wanted to be able to make games I didn't see in the world. And I I'm very future leaning and so I, I wanted to participate in what looked like uh, the way we were going to experience media into the future and create those forward thinking games he did. The games were finished uh, about 20 years ago. So it's a diptych, a pair of video games. They are two-dimensional video games done in sort of 8-bit plus visual style. And uh, so Crosser uh, puts the player in the point of view of trying to either embody or help a cute brown person across the Rio Grande and across IH-10 to, uh, toward a, a visa, a green card. If that's sounding familiar, you know, gameplay-wise, then you might be onto something. We lifted the game for Crosser. We lifted the gameplay of Frogger. There's a, a literary theory um, from post-structuralism where we uh, basically kept the structure in place uh, but changed all the signifiers, um, the signifiers being the visual art. And so rather than helping a, or embodying a, a cute frog cross a river and cross a crowded highway to safety, um, uh, you switch out the cute frog for a cute brown person with that does is it shows that uh, one of the most commercially successful video games in history could have carried heavy-duty semantic content as well. Um, and the, its companion game uh, is called La Migra. La Migra draws from Space Invaders and it's a, a reaction against the use of the words illegal alien. And it puts the player in the shoes of an immigration and naturalization service agent. That's how they were titled when we made the games 20 years ago. Um, they would now be called ICE agents. And, um, and that person has the choice of either helping or hindering uh, someone who's trying to cross. And the, um, the, the goal for both games is, is, has to deal with the, the U.S.-Mexico border. Um, we were teaching ourselves how to do game design at the same time as we were kind of learning how to do programming at the same time. And um, um, you know, we thought we were doing something interesting, challenging, and novel when we made the games. But we um, were also being a little bit um, puckish and flippant. We had a very, very dark sense of humor at play as we were making the games. Um, and so... Um, we, we did, really didn't know, you know, we, we had aspirations and wishes and hopes and dreams, but we, we didn't know how these, these games were going to be taken. Uh, we certainly didn't conduct any audience testing before we made the games, no focus groups. Um, we, we had an artistic impulse that we thought, well, this kind of game should exist. Um, we didn't have almost any uh, role models for how to make this kind of 
expression. We just set out to follow our our intuition. Um, we were also simultaneously critiquing several different aspects of culture. We were critiquing the life that we were living on the U.S.-Mexico border, and witnessing uh, people attempting to enter the U.S. across the Rio Grande to seek out a better life for themselves and for their families, and the and the resistance that that um, is placed in their path uh, as well. So it was a critical analysis of life on the border, a voyeuristic view of those trying to cross, as well as those who try to stop them. Two opposing sides, one seeking a more fruitful way of life, the other attempting to hold on to their own, regardless of the cost. Um, There are um, people who are coming across and they seek a better life. And... um, Geez, great, and we're talking today, um, 48 hours after uh, 50 bodies are discovered in the back of a truck in San Antonio. And, um, and so the, it, it's just hard to talk about the, um, the, I, 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 I feel like I want to throw open the borders because it's just stupid. Um, you know, global capital can, traverse borders more free than, than humans can. And that's, um, that's just not right. A free movement of peoples is a UN-defined human right. And um, what our government does at the U.S.-Mexico border is, is, um, is obscene. And in order to capture that real-world obscenity, he made these games. At the time, the ethical gamification of real issues was a much more obscure sentiment than it is now, considering video games as art was a much different sentiment than it is now. So, how did he get there? You know, people were saying, well, video games are a medium, video games are an art form. Um, They were making those claims as, you know, 20 years ago. Um, But the, um, the way to really verify those claims are to say, well, if this is truly the case, then a video game ought to be able to carry all kinds of emotional and significant weight or significance and signification that other media throughout history have carried. Uh, and so if you can have Goya create paintings and prints that uh, are effectively protest against uh, uh, wars in Spain, and atrocities in Spain. Um, if you can have uh, novels like Upton Sinclair's The Jungle that rails against the conditions in meatpacking plants in, in Chicago, uh, while also uh, achieving art status, uh, then video games ought to be able to do the same thing. If their claim to being art is to be believed. And so we tried it. But there are plenty of video games that are all about maintaining some sort of order through oppressive and often violent means. So what separates La Migra from being in the same category as, say, a Call of Duty would? La Migra was a very, very small team. Uh, I did the bulk of the programming and the bulk of the art and uh, used artwork by Francisco Ortega Grimaldo and by Ryan Malloy. Um, 
And so, um, and it was about, oh, maybe close to nine months worth of effort um, and part-time effort. In a game engine that was designed to enable middle school children to learn how to program without using code, without using text-based code. In the mean, you know, and then we compare to Call of Duty, which um, has been probably has a bigger team than 200. It, it could have easily a thousand participants. Um, and this is where um, where intention matters. Right? Where uh, when it had an entertainment, purely entertainment intention, um, there was a sort of a neutralizing effect by just using a frog in. Crosser, there isn't any representation of death. That was another critical stance when we made Crosser. And then a year later, we needed to include the possibility of death in La Migra. And so if you, the player, strikes a non-player character, uh, if you strike a person trying to cross with your automobile because you are situated inside of an automobile patrolling, you will kill them, and um, that you know you're, it. It helps illustrate a gross power disparity there, and what we also do that is a critique of video games is that the um, the cadaver of the person that the player has killed does not dissolve. It remains on the field of play and impedes the progress of the player so that they feel the consequences of that virtual action. Um, where video games, especially war-based video games, have historically dissolved any cadavers so that they, they just disappear. Another th important part of that sort of dual criticism is that video games often make non-player characters to be indistinct and they are not individuated and in la migra we individuated all of the non-player characters and they all have a one sentence backstory at minimum and um so when they die they also have an individuated death and death uh, illustration death art which was hard to draw because i love those non-player characters it took me a couple of months of sort of sitting in front of the drawing board and later the computer to actu actualize those uh, death masks. And I have seen in the years since when people play, they, they are typically struck by those death masks and by the fact that the cadavers are not disappearing. And so there is an emotional response by the player to those actions, which is what I had aspired for that. So it takes an army to make a Call of Duty. It takes intention to make art. But that begs the question, how did he acquire that intention? Well, so I think that um, the, you know, growing up in Texas, you know, it's like, well, what gives you the gumption, right? With, right, and and you're 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 from New Orleans. I'm sure you've heard the word gumption used in a similar context, <laughs> right? Yeah, I, I have. So it's it's um, what gives you the, what gives one the courage as well as what gives one the 
say so or the standing. You know, what standing does one have? Um, so I'm an immigrant. I was brought to the United States when I was three years old. I am deeply, deeply fortunate to have been able to come in documented. Um, I grew up in the, U in the U.S. in San Antonio, Texas. San Antonio, Texas considers itself a border town. It is within or right at the edge of the 100-mile zone where the uh, Department of Homeland Security can act with impunity. I have been uh, a person of color, uh, an othered individual within the U.S. society uh, because I am Latin American. I have lived experiences and I have made common cause with those who have struggles that are harder than mine and try to uplift their voices. And so there is my standing. Um, what has given me the courage? In some parts, um, nobody else was doing it. Someone ought to do it. We decided to give it a try. So when all is said and done, what stands behind as the legacy of gaming? Raphael believes that the most lasting games, much like any other media, are art. It's one thing to boldly declare your game is art, but unless you put that declaration to the test, it might not have much staying power. And through technological advancements, shifting global ideologies, and much more, his work was just selected for an exhibit at the Denver Art Museum. One tries to be humble, but this is um, this is a really important exhibit. The exhibit is called Revision, and it is a, a, a renewed, refreshed look at the art history from what we now call the Americas for the last 2,000 years. So it includes pre-colonial era work. Uh, it includes work from the era of Spanish colonization, and it includes work by contemporary artists who have been informed by historical works. This project is supported by a grant from the Center for Immigration Policy and Research and the Center for Innovation in the Liberal and Creative Arts at the University of Denver. We'd like to thank MFJS and Ethan Crawford for their support, this episode was made possible by the support of our team. Thank you to our producers, Lucy Richardson, Lisette Zamora-Galarza, Professor Carlos Jimenez, and me, Gray Newman. This has been Here, Allá, Presente, a podcast about immigration and Colorado. <laughs>